0: Welcome everybody, episode 6, today's July 6th, oh, look at that, and we are here, myself, James, and we got Chris, and we got a replacement for Corey, we got Matt tonight, uh, Matt's, he's over at the blog with us, he's been at the blog probably the longest, right, you've been there since day one?
1: Yeah, just about, um, was there since day one, took a little bit of a hiatus at one point a couple years in, but came back pretty quickly after that, so yeah, pretty much been there since day one. Yeah, he had, uh, he's
0: replacing Corey today. Corey should be back next week. He just had a little difficulty, something, so he couldn't make it tonight. But um, we're happy to have Matt on. Thanks for coming on short notice.
2: What's yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's your boy, Chris. Um, you're well, uh, well acquainted with Chris. But um, So episode six, right? Jersey number. We usually do Jersey number. Everyone here, Andy Green, that's got to be the guy. So... A little fun fact for you. Jersey number six has been worn by 29 different players, which is the second most in Devils history, which is crazy given the fact that Andrew Green wore the number for over 13 years. So I went back. Looked because that confused me a little bit and I noticed that before Andy Green, this jersey number wasn't worn for more than like a year at a time. So that's why so many players wore it. So I don't know what the, what the jersey number six is, but it was just a cool little fact I, uh I found. But yeah, that's that. Um, oh, another thing I want to mention. I know last week we said we were going to have a guest this week and no – I know how great of a guest Matt is, but that Matt was not the guest we were talking about. Um, we're still not going to announce who it will be. We had a couple technical difficulties, just logistics, but I promise within the next couple of weeks, we're going to have them on and we'll announce it when we get everything finalized. So bear with us with that. All right. Enough about all the housekeeping stuff and the beginning stuff. We'll move on to what we're going to be doing, uh, talking about this podcast. So we'll start with some current news. Move in. We're going to have a best player from segment. This was something I kind of thought about. We're going to go around the league. Tonight will be the a Pacific division, and we're going to give our opinion on who we think is the best from each play, uh, from each team in the Pacific. Third thing we're going to do is who we are rooting for, personally cheering for in the return to play, a playoff. I'll have my prospect corner following that. We're going to have a debate about Tim Stutzel and Quentin, By- Quentin Byfield, who we think L.A. should take second overall. Like I said, I'm going to start with some current news. The first thing we're going to uh, talk about is Quinn Hughes, uh, Jack's older brother, did an interview with, I don't even know who the interview was with, but, um, so, Neil McHale on Twitter basically summarized the interview, gave the quotes. I don't think he actually did an interview himself, but I'll read you the tweet. So Quinn was asked about the potential nine-month layoff for his brother Jack, and Quinn replied with, I think this may be the best thing that could ever happen to my brother, if I'm being completely honest. I think he's an unbelievable player, and the only thing that was holding him back was how young he was and just being an 18-year-old kid. You're just not as strong. I think there's a huge difference between 18 and 20. There's still a lot of development to do. <clears throat> he's been really working out and getting stronger, and I can see already in his body he's added about three or four more pounds of muscle mass, which is great to hear. So I think whenever you see him in seven months or whenever, he's going to be a different player and a different person. It's a really good opportunity for him. Me reading this, uh, I'm really happy knowing that he's doing the thing that he needs to do to take that next step because we can all agree the issue with jack and we've talked about this on the pod in recent episodes is he just doesn't have the strength yet to be to hold himself yeah. at the nhl level so that's a cool interview that we found and definitely good to hear but
2: yeah there's definitely a piece i was thinking about writing if i get some time here but it involves him for sure so we'll, we'll see if i get some time to write about it but it's good to hear
0: Yep. So uh, moving on to the next thing and more – first we'll talk about the hub cities. This this hub cities thing is like such a big deal. I don't know about you guys. I don't really care about it that much. But like I feel like it's – every single day there's new stuff coming about. Like, oh, it's going to be this city. No, it's going to be this city. But anyway, as of July 1st, Bobby Mack reported the two hub cities are going to be Edmonton and Toronto. Now in the beginning – Yeah. Now, in the beginning, it was rumored for a while it was Las Vegas. But then with the recent spikes down in Nevada, right, that's where Las Vegas is. Um, uh, They went away from there and then there was a huge thing with Vancouver, but Vancouver declined for whatever reason. So now Edmonton and Toronto looks like the front runners there. Moving on. CBA, Per Friedman, he wrote a really good article on it. Um, I recommend going and finding it and reading it yourselves. We'll summarize it for you basically. So the CBA, the Players Association, the NHL are negotiating is a six-year extension. And this extension and the CBA plan are including components of the return-to-play plan. So the dates for the return-to-play plan right now are July 13th, camps will open. July 26th, teams will return to the hub cities. August 1st games will begin which will mean if there's no interruptions due to the virus that the first week of October is when the Stanley Cup will be held so that's an update on when you could expect to see hockey August 1st regarding other yeah right regarding other miscellaneous topics that were mentioned in this article on the CBA opt out any player can opt out with no penalty or discipline This regards the return to play plan. We've seen with the Major League Baseball how they're returning soon. A ton of players are starting to opt out there. So it'll be interesting if anyone opts out. Uh, a little more news we read about that in a little bit. So the term of the CBA, as we mentioned, is going to be a six-year extension in through at least 2025, 2026. Salary cap, this was a big one, and especially given the devil state right now. The upper limit is frozen at $81.5 million, and that's what it was last year. It's going to remain there until hockey revenue returns to 4.8 billion. I have no idea when it's supposed to return back. 4.8 billion is a really big number, but I have no idea what they're like sitting at now or how long that should take. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have anything to say here. If you have any idea how long this is going I mean, to take, the
2: salary cap's not going to go up until they're back to normal revenue. That's that's basically all it is. Um, Toronto fans aren't going to be happy because you know
0: Tampa Bay fans yeah
2: anyone who's close to that salary cap ceiling who you know is banking on it at least going up a little bit every year they're not going to be happy but honestly who's going to be happy it's better than it could have been it could have gone down because and and it would have been justifiable because again it's all based around the league revenue the salary mm-hmm.
0: cap. So so I have no idea and it, I don't think either Chris or Matt does about when the hockey revenue will return to what it is projected to be at this year. So it'll be interesting to see how long there's no uh increase in yeah. the cap and what I was saying before, you know, who will be happy is your own New Jersey Devils are going to be ecstatic. Because of how much cap space they have, I think right now they're sitting at the second most cap space in the NHL.
2: They might be number one, to be honest.
0: I think, don't quote me on this, that the Senators are just ahead of them. I could be totally wrong.
2: It'll be close, yeah.
0: Um, but I was looking at that not long ago. But uh, uh, I was
2: just above them, so New Jersey does yeah. have the most cap space.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I was on Cap Friendly not that long. That's that website, right? Cap Friendly. They yeah. do all that good yeah, stuff. Cap yeah, yeah on cap friendly not that long ago i think it was for a piece sized writing or something so that's why i knew that little mm. tidbit but yeah so that's the salary cap regarding the cba
2: the first bit of revenue you're gonna see is a new tv deal In <laughs> yeah terms it's gonna of be like big normal stuff like tickets and stuff like that who knows but the the first major revenue thing you'll see for the nhl is when they sign a new tv deal and that's the whole push behind finishing this season is to kind of help with that Same thing with players agreeing to the CBA, no lockout, better for a negotiation on a TV deal. That's basically what all of these moves are centered around.
0: Good stuff. So the next part we're going to discuss, which is a, a huge part, is Olympic participation. This CBA if agreed upon will allow the players to participate in the twenty twenty two and twenty twenty six Olympics and this of course pending the negotiations with the IIHF and the IOC. So for those who have been dying for Olympic hockey with your big names, you'll be happy next Olympics if hopefully all these negotiations negotiations go right. I'll be ecstatic. Yeah, it's great. Um TJ Soshi back in what year was that now? Twenty twelve? The that legend. was a while ago, yeah. TJ Soshi, though, remember the Sochi Olympics? So we got the, I know it's no, I know it's Oshi, but remember oh, the Olympics oh, were so- in Sochi. Yes.
2: Okay, I see what you're doing there. Okay, yeah, that. All right. this, this, this is him not thing. knowing
1: how to say names. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that was me actually purposely doing it. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, when was that Olympics? 2012.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it was 2012 because it was yeah the, the Sochi Olympics going back and forth. Yeah, in the shootout. In the Olympics They don't have the rule Where like you shoot once And then you can't shoot again Like I think it's the first Four players after, Have to be different three, And then after I that think. You can just do Whoever you want And it can be repeats And mm-hmm. Russia kept throwing out Kovalchuk And we kept throwing out Oshi, And I think it was Bobrovsky in net For uh, Probably Russia <laughs> And it was quick in net For us We had
0: quick Yeah Yeah, yeah I believe yeah, it was Olympic. 2012 Sochi Olympics Yeah I was watching so my, that was great. In
2: my college dorm And I was just ecstatic I remember That wasn't was that early morning? I think
0: it was. Like, yeah, cuz all the games yeah. were
2: uh, they were taking place over there in Russia. It was yep. uh, I think it was like a, it finished around 11, I think.
0: Yeah, cuz like, I'll, like I'll never forget. I was I was reffing like little uh like younger kids' basketball and i was like watching when there was timeouts on my phone but anyway enough enough of that conversation we'll move on but yeah that's everything with the cba there that we have so far like i said this was a freeman article that he posted it was uh, good stuff Next, a little tidbit here, Rickard Gromberg, who was rumored to be in the New Jersey uh, head coaching search, and Chris Johnson Sportsnet acknowledged that he was receiving interest from New Jersey, officially agreed with a contract extension with Zurch through 2023. Good to see for Gronberg. One day he will come over to the NHL. He's going to be a great coach, but just a little update there. And then lastly, the thing I was referencing before about that tweet The tweet reads, over the last two days, I've been speaking with players. And this is from Eric Engels, who's a Montreal Canadiens beat writer. Correct, Chris?
2: Yes. Yeah, he's a beat writer for the uh, Montreal Canadiens.
0: Okay. So basically what he said over the last two days, he's speaking with players around the NHL who are quite concerned about the return to play. And he paraphrased some of the conversation he had. The first tweet in the thread which is the most important tweet says one player said a majority of players do not want to return to play this summer estimated 75% as they're concerned with financial pitfalls of the decision they're more concerned about risking contracting the virus serious injury before cramming in the 2021 season so that's an interesting tidbit and as we mentioned before with the C B A, um, there's an ability for players to opt out. Now who knows if the player you talked to had a good gauge, if it's really seventy five percent. But who knows? Uh, you guys have an opinion on this? You think it's legit? Like I what do you guys think? It's thinking? just a
2: strong union. The fact that you haven't heard this kind of leak out. I think there's I think where there's smoke, there's fire. I do think there yeah. are players that will see opt out and don't be surprised if they're big names um we know that a bunch of guys just got paid july 1st because signing bonuses are guaranteed even during a lockout you're getting paid um so i I think there's some some there's something there behind this i don't know if the number 75 percent is going to turn out to be accurate um there probably are players that are unhappy but it just it shows that the nhlpa at least it's a strong union where they can have these disagreements but not like basically air their dirty laundry out for everyone to see Gotcha.
0: Yeah, so that's that. Um, any other news you guys saw this week that you thought would be worth mentioning? That's all I have news-wise. No, all good. Uh, everyone's
2: projecting Arizona yeah. to win the uh, the lottery if uh, if things go a certain way. For obvious reasons, Taylor Hall.
0: Oh uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> not news. New news though. We knew that last week when that crazy lottery happened though with yeah. the Taylor Hall magic. But uh, all right, so we'll move on. Um, now we're going to be discussing, moving to our next segment, the new best player segment from each team. And we're doing the Pacific Division tonight. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss our top two players from each team. We'll get everyone's opinion and then we'll have a discussion about it. We're going to have the number one player and also like an honorable mention who we think the second best player is. We'll start. We'll go in order of standings, how they finish. So we'll start out with Vegas. Uh, Matt. Hit us with it. Who's your top two?
1: My top two out in Vegas, I have as Shea Theodore and Jonathan Marchessault. which I know there's definitely going to be patchy people and everything out there, um, at least for the, the forward slot. I just I, I tend to lean a little more towards Marchessault. So. Um, I I like what he brings overall in terms of some of his possession numbers and just kind of the way that he he plays the game. He he always seems to be in and around the action when he's on the ice. He's extremely noticeable, um, and some of like the his back numbers from the season he had a. for the Corsi and uh, 47 points in 66 games, which isn't anything incredible, but it's also, you know, they they had their ups and downs, especially to start the season. Um, So, all that taken into consideration. And then I also found a stat uh, that was a through percentage in terms of your shots. So, Basically, meaning that when you're taking your shots, they're not either getting deflected wide, getting blocked, they're getting actually through to the goalie, which is one of the more important things to have no matter where you are on the ice and March. So had a 60% through shot, which over the course of 66 games sounds still pretty high to me. Um, So just someone who can consistently get to the pucks and net like that is I would a hundred percent take on my team any day of the week. Look at you and your fancy stats. I love it. I love me some fancy China. stats.
2: <laughs>
0: but, um, no, good stuff, Matt. Yeah, that's great reasoning. I love Shea Theodore too. I know you mentioned him. He's my second best player I have on this team. His like his fancy charts are like insane. Like I know Shea Theodore oh, yeah. is a pretty good player, but when I really delved into the research and stuff he's like he's insane and he also contributes offensively he had 46 points in 71 games which is great for a defenseman um, and defensively he's also great like I said his charts are all good and cool-looking and then lastly he led the team with 22 minutes place time a night but my number one player I went forward I didn't go either guy you talked about though. I went mark stone um, Okay, yeah good choice, 60- good choice. Yeah, he had 63 points in 65 games this year. I don't know if that led the team or not. I think it might have or it was second behind Pacioretty. I think he's uh, second, yeah, Pat second Pat behind Pacioretty. Okay. And his Rampum chart, his offensive numbers, his Corsi, and his expected goal, four per 68 like actually break the chart i've never seen a chart better offensively than his but he's also defensively reliable as well as these numbers are also slightly above average but yeah mark stone for me that trade i know they gave up who they gave up brandstrom that prospect defenseman yeah i believe yeah and also a first round pick i know at first it's like oh that seems like a lot i i would pull the trigger again mark stone's a great player but for me i got stone and then i got theodore chris who do you got
2: yeah, so I went forwards, loaded up there. Uh, I had Mark Stone, just like you had. I also had Max Pacioretty. Those are my top 2. Um yep. just solid goal scores, point generators, just great offensive players. Um, I did have uh Carlson in my honorable mentions, uh just for the Wild finesse that he plays with. Yeah. Wild uh and Marcia so as well for a lot of the same reasons Matt had, also the sick whip. Uh, uh um I like I like fancy cars so respect for that i think he drives like a lambo or something to the, Who the arena Marciusso. Marcel? Yeah. oh really yeah good for him <laughs> uh, they were showing it during the playoffs and stuff i think it was a lambo i don't know but uh yeah shout out for that the sick whip but my two from vegas were mark stone and max patch
0: Gotcha. Alright, we'll move on to the next team and we're going to talk about Edmonton next. I think this one's pretty self-explanatory and I think we'll all be on board. I got Connor McDavid one and Leon Dreisaitl number two for that team. You guys agree or do you have them flopped?
2: Nope, I have the other way around.
0: You have Dreisaitl ahead of... Oh, really? That, that's, that's funny coming for a guy that didn't <laughs> wasn't all that in love with Leon Dreisaitl a few months really? ago. Honestly,
2: honestly I'm, I'm, I'm joking around here, but obviously they're the top <laughs> I two. Hope so. I, I kind of see them as a 1A, 1B with each other. Man, yeah, I agree with that.
0: I, I still got McDavid ahead of him. McDavid's, a, McDavid's insane, but, yeah, Since we don't need much explanation lines. here. Yeah. Um. So.
2: That Yamamoto kid really came on, though, when he got called up.
0: Kaler is his first name, I think.
2: I forget the first name, yeah. I just remember yeah, seeing the him he was he was lighting it up.
0: Gotcha. All right, yeah, that one was easy. We'll move on. That was a quick little one with McDavid and Saddle. The third team we're going to talk about. Oh, who's third in standings? Calgary, I think. Yeah, Calgary. So, yeah, we'll start Calgary. Chris, give us your first two in order.
2: So I got uh, Matt Kachuk okay. forward, and then I got Mark Giordano. Um, I like Kachuk because he's very – I got a lot of uh, respect, and I like the guys who play with sandpaper, play with a little bit of an edge, but are offensively talented as well, which Kachuk is. Um, it, his brother's a little bit like that too on Ottawa, Brady. But uh with Calgary, he's definitely my top guy out there. Um, Gaudreau's really good, uh, but he's having a little bit of a down year. And Lindholm and Monahan are great too. But Mark Giordano, I, I went with him as the number two just because uh, he's a solid back-end defenseman. Uh, I believe he won the Norris last year, correct?
0: He did, I yeah, yeah. yeah you are correct. A,
2: he's, he's a solid defenseman, and I think that's, that's two key pillars you got to have right there if you're going to contend for the cup.
0: Yeah, good stuff. I have to Chuck first as well. I you summed it up perfect. I love the way he plays the game. How he pisses people off and gets under their skin. And he, he could do it because he's good. He's like really good. He's he's awesome to watch play. I oh, love yeah. I love that guy. But um,
2: when are we going to get, get Chuck I, and Cassian back in the same room?
0: <laughs> uh, that was awesome. Well, art. Are they, no they're not but if it was a normal playoff wouldn't it have been calgary and edmonton round one if they didn't do this full 24 team. i think if it, it was it just 18. Of,
2: and it, the nhl.com i found this interesting i went to the standings they removed the wild card from the standings because of this playing format like i tried to see yeah. who the wild card teams were and it wasn't showing oh really on the website yeah well,
0: interesting they don't want people to be more mad than they already are at them for doing <laughs> yeah, dumb things. Yeah, it was things.
2: only doing conference division and league. It wouldn't show like a wild card. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Yeah, so I had Chuck first, and then I had Johnny Goudreau second still. I had, and You were right. He did have a down year, but I mean, I'm pretty sure he was still second in scoring. And Yeah. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a great – He's
2: similar to like Taylor Hall. You know, people yeah. thought he was having not a great year, but he was still kind of producing. I think he picked it up also as the season went on, Goudreau did. He was a, bit, a little bit slow at the gate.
0: Yeah, Giordano. he had – I don't think I'm saying that right, but he had a great year as well. He was a great option there. I could have uh, uh, agreed with you there, Chris. He's also a great player, one of the best
1: defensemen in the league. Matt, let's hear it. I had Kachuk as an honorable mention, actually. Okay. Uh, my my number one I have as Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau out there. Yeah, Um, he did have a bit of a down year this year, but I kind of looked at it more in terms of if you're looking big picture, you're looking at the full on setup and structure of that team and just his body of work.
2: Yeah, he's definitely part of that
1: core. And as good as as good as Kachuk was and everything, he is still one of the younger guys. So I think I want to see one more season of that same grit and sandpaper, which I know is going to be there. But with that same level of offensive productivity that he brought, yeah. I mean, Guja, like I said, he had 58 points in 70 games, which getting off to a bad start isn't anything really uh, terrible to write home about. Um, he was slightly above in Corsi. You know just you know exactly what you're going to get from him pretty much on a game-in, game-out basis, yeah. which, is, which is huge. Um, and my number two guy was Giordano because he's so good on that back. And even being an older guy, he's still just – So you just,
0: got chuck three, right? I do, yeah. Gotcha. No, that's good stuff. Um, you have great insight there with both of them. Gaudreau, the Jersey boy, he's a free agent after next year, I think, right? Or two years? I forget. Uh, I but.
2: forget when he's a free agent, but.
0: Chris, do your work. Search that up on our our friends over at CapFriendly. See when he's a free agent for us. But uh, while Chris does that, we're going to move over and talk about the fourth team. They have Vancouver Canucks. I'll start us out while Chris is looking that information up for us. So this one was really hard. It was between Elias, Pe- Elias Peterson and J.T. Miller for me. I ultimately went with uh, Peterson, number one. He's only 21 years old and had back-to-back 66-point seasons, and this year he did it in 68 games. He's above average at really everything, and surprisingly, even defensively, and his numbers, fancy stats, even checked out better than J.T. Miller said defensively. Miller had a great year. Best year in his career, career year, seventy-two points led the team, and he also did so while playing over twenty minutes a night. I think you can make an argument for each, but I gave Pedersen the very slight nod over
1: JT Miller. So, Matt, what are you thinking here? Uh, I'm in agreement with you there. I have Pedersen as my one. Um, I was actually between Pedersen and Hughes. Um, okay, pretty much everything you covered with Pedersen. It's you know, it's right on. All you gotta do is watch the kid any of these given nights, and you can see just how. Out there, And for being only 21 years old as a forward, he's still playing almost 19 minutes. I think he was at about 18 Correct. and a half, 1840, yep. um, which is crazy numbers. Um, and that's also something that really was enticing about thinking of leaning cues as the one. Um, 53 points in 68 games on the back end is absolutely great for – for somebody coming in like that. And he's playing almost 22 minutes a game at defense at 20 years old. like You're not going to see something like that come right in and just (laughs) playing at that high of a level. His fancy
0: stats defensively also check out. He's doing on both of the ends of the ice. His defensive game is very developed for someone his age, which is great. But, um, yeah, I can see either one. Chris, you find that information about Goudreau out for us?
2: Yeah, he's got about another three years on his contract. Three years? Yeah, he's a free agent 2022-2023 season so this year next season and then he's a free agent uh yes i believe they also said that all contracts right now are extended through like october 1st or 31st however long the season's going to take the contracts for this year have been extended for all players so yeah he's slated right now to be a ufa the year 2022 2023
0: Okay. Oh, so. Interesting. For all the talk about like trading to Drew and all that stuff, because uh, there was talk of that. Oh yeah. I'm surprised at his contracts. He locked in for that many more years, but yeah. Oh well. Chris, what do you have here for the Canucks?
2: So I ended up going uh, with J T. Miller and Quinn Hughes. Um, okay. I thought Miller. I so I've had him in fantasy for a couple years, uh, <laughs> I, 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 and I'm Tampa's like my second favorite team outside of the Devils uh, before they even you know loaded up with all the talent they have now um but i thought what what fans were expecting when vancouver made that trade to acquire jt miller i think some people thought they might have overpaid um i kind of was on the fence and like i mean it it depends he can be good but at the same time he was playing in tampa which is a stacked team uh, but he's he's shown that he was well worth it. Uh, again, kind of like what you said earlier, James, with uh, the other trade from Mark Stone, you would pull the trigger on this trade again and again. Um, he's definitely led that team offensively. And uh, I actually had Pedersen as a honorable mention, along with Jacob Markstrom. I felt Markstrom, yeah, Markstrom stole Strum. a lot of games for Vancouver 100%. Uh, early in the season. Kind of kept them where they are. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes, I, I have him as the second uh, best player on that team just because Obviously he's in, he's neck and neck with McCarr for the Calder. I think McCarr will win it, but the the upside I see in Hughes, and uh, I think he, I think he's probably their best defenseman, and he's only 20 years old, right? I mean, their yeah, decor yeah. is about their, league average. Is,
0: yeah, it's so, it's funny how that works because they were so reliant on goaltending and their defensive numbers mm-hmm. this year, and their decor as a whole isn't like I jumping like you know but um yeah so that's that that's vancouver we'll move on to the fifth team the la kings
1: matt let's hear
0: from you first
1: are we going to la yeah la kings uh for this i have Kobotar rocking out as my number one uh he's just been a staple there for such a long period of time and consistently gets it done using this body gets to the net he kind of does everything pretty well um he had 62 points in 70 games just over 55 percent on face-offs had a almost 16% shooting percentage, you know, just up and down the board. You look, everything is, is in the plus. And again, he's a guy who's been, he's been around, he's been doing it forever. Unfortunately uh, we saw that firsthand back in 2012 when he was taking care of business against us in the finals out there. Uh, he, it's, it's just really hard to think of the Kings and not think about him and quick. Yeah. For sure, now, yeah. yeah. Who'd you say your second one was your second person? Uh, my second it's actually kind of a sleeper. I went with Tyler Tofoli as my number 2. Okay. I
0: think he just well, got moved in though. Vancouver now, right? Yeah. yeah I think he got traded. Yeah, he got traded to Vancouver, I believe it was at the deadline. Oh, that's right. But they don't
2: I mean, he was me, the top player for them while he was there.
0: Yeah, and I had Kopitar one as well for all the reasons you just said. Um it's crazy he's still doing it and he's 32 years old. He's not really slowing down unlike drew dowdy who is not good anymore like really not good and it's crazy how he just fell off a cliff these past couple years i don't know if it's just because yeah i mean la definitely got they're a lot worse than they were but i mean coprotar isn't slowing down but dowdy really just hit a wall and then after Copertar it's a big drop off i had a problem i had a problem picking my second guy for me is alex Iofilo. Um, very reliable defensively and he was second on team in scoring. Uh besides that I don't have much to say about him for but for me it was Kopitar and then I follow. Who do you have Chris?
2: You and I are on the same page here James. I had Kopitar number 1, I follow number 2. Um, gotcha. um you know Dowdy is uh he, he's he's declining a little bit. Uh I don't think he's at a point yet where he's too old to kind of correct it. Um, I'm sure he could do some work to try and change it. Uh but he is kind of on the downswing, quick a little bit as well. Um, we know that uh, LA's system is just stacked with players. Um, but yeah, I had I had Kopitar one because obviously he's been their bread and butter for a long time. He was competing with Taylor Hall that one year for the uh, the MVP. I think he mm-hmm. I think he finished second, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't really remember. And then, you know, Dustin Brown's been there forever, but Ayala uh, really came on the scene. So. That's what we got out in L.A.
0: Okay. I think Anaheim finished better than L.A., so that was my bad. I think we should have talked about them first. I'm not really sure, though. But Anaheim, I'll start uh, John Gibson far in the head, number one for me. Um, he has a career nine eighteen save percentage, which is – great and then it's kind of crazy the past couple of years he had a higher than a 920 from 15 to 18 and then he had a 917 last year he did hit a little bit of a wall this year in terms of production as a safer center I think was below 910 but I would also be hitting a wall if I was playing in front of that defense and what they have going over there in Anaheim the second player I had was Hampus Lindholm Um, he's great but
1: besides that I just have Gibson one and Hampus, Hampus Lindholm two Matt who do you have here I am following suit with you on that. Uh, I had Gibson, uh, Gibson 1, Lindholm 2. Um, and like you said, his, his save percentage issue was only 904, which is lower in consideration to what he had normally been. But like you said, with the team and everything he had to work with in front of him, it's not really that surprising to see it down there. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the other things I, I came across in terms of trying to get in like the fancy stat aspect of it, I had 51 starts, but 22 of those fell into a uh, quality start consideration, mm-hmm. which is any start with a safe percentage over what league average would be. So even with, you know, not having very much to work with on, on almost half the occasions you went out there and gave you at least league average, if not better, which is really all you can ever ask for.
0: Yeah, he had really good numbers in the beginning of the season because I had him in fantasy. Like I've had a yeah. couple uh, – I'm a big John Gibson guy. Uh, he started out the season really well. And then what was weird about him is he would have games where he would let in like six goals. And those so, killed him. Yeah, exactly. So those high that high number of quality starts doesn't surprise me because it seemed like he was either on or the team in front of him just wasn't helping him out. But Chris – you differing from me in that night? Only I? a
2: little bit. I do have Gibson number one, uh, and I, I know you've been a very big Gibson fan for a long time, James. <laughs> I know you are yeah. very, very big on him. Um, I had Henrique number two, though, uh, just leading okay. forwards offensively. Um, the Ducks do have, like, a decent uh, defensive core set up a little bit. I, I believe they still have Cam Fowler, no, Hamperson yeah, at home. Is
0: John, Ma- uh Josh so, Mason as well. Cam Fowler taking stuff back. But, yeah, yeah like what I said before that, the team playing in front of him, I don't really understand why it was so bad. Because, like you said, they do have yeah. some quality D men there, but you just get butchered night in and night out. But go ahead, sorry to interrupt you there.
2: No, I mean that was, that was basically uh, what I had. I mean, we already know about Gibson. He, you know, he got hung out to dry there uh, for a good amount of games, and we saw that kind of affect his stats. Still doesn't change the player that he is. I'd say, you know, the next Olympics, if the NHL players are participating, he's probably the starter. Um, and, and I just went with Henry because he was leading you know, the offense in terms of uh, points. He just edged out Raquel and gets lost by a point. But uh, 26 goals, next closest player was Silverberg with 21, and then you had Raquel with 15. Um, and he's a centerman as well, not necessarily a winger. You expect more goal scoring out of your wingers than your centers. Centers are usually more involved with setting up the play and, and being responsible defensively. So.
0: Good stuff. All right, last team in the Pacific Division, the San Jose Sharks, and what a mess they were this year. But
2: we got started in Arizona, right?
0: Oh, Arizona as well. Jeez, yeah, sorry. Uh, we'll talk about Arizona after San Jose. But my number one for San Jose was Timo Meyer. His charts are this fancy charts are crazy. Offensively, he's insane in the chart contributes to that he led the team in scoring this year defensively he also holds his own the numbers are slightly above average there my number two who i'm sure one of you guys might have as your number one is logan contora defensively he's a little worse than meyer you could easily argue that he's uh their best player but i think it was split between these two but i admire ultimately edging him out chris who'd you get here
2: yeah so i agree with you with timo meyer number one i think he's uh probably one of their most promising forwards um he i think the whole san jose team really underperformed this year compared to expectations including meyer um and then i agree with what you said about couture he was actually my first honorable mention but i believe he missed a good amount of games with a pretty significant injury this season He um I, i ended up putting brent burns as my second Best player out there, just because uh, how dynamic he is offensively as a defenseman. And yes, he did start out as a, a, a winger. I believe he was playing in Minnesota. They transitioned him yeah, to uh, defense and everything. Um, I I've always liked the way he plays the game, and I think it's it's not something you're usually prepared for because most teams don't have that kind of threat from the the defensive end. Um, and then they Arson, Carlson you know, back had, there. A, had a step back as well um if they can get it going i mean san jose could easily you know turn around next year i think a lot of their trouble was in in between the pipes basically
0: it always is so, yeah. <laughs>
2: for how many years now yeah. But, um
0: yeah san jose though so they're in a really weird place they're like in between a rebuild and not a rebuild they keep they're in a very weird place i'm interested to see what they do in these next couple of years but matt who you got for your top
1: two I'm going to be similar with Chris. I just got it flipped. I have Brett Burns out there as my one and Meyer as my two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meyer, pretty much for all the reasons that you guys brought up, you know, I really came on this year. He's a guy who's very interesting to watch in the offensive zone. Uh, He's done some things that I didn't think he was really capable of at times. Um, But then in regards to Burns, again, he he is kind of a guy who just does it all. You can't ever – fall asleep on him when he's out there, even though you see him floating around in the back end, he can hop up and join the rush. He can start the rush himself. He's out there about 26 minutes a game, which he's always going to be there, especially on power plays and stuff. And then you also have the, uh, the looming fear of a guy like Eric Carlson out there on the back end at times. And Burns is really just kind of a staple out there to me. He's almost the equivalency of their like version of a Victor Hedman type you know he can play the body he plays offense he can rush he's kind of comfortable doing a little bit of everything mm-hmm. no yeah that's good reasoning um so that's san jose
0: and we will move on to the last team now arizona and i wouldn't blame me for forgetting them i feel like they're a very forgettable team but <laughs> uh so for me i had darcy kemper number one i know he missed some time due to injury this year but mm-hmm. he had a 928 save percentage in this limited time and Arizona was such a goaltender reliant team this year, defensively reliant. Yeah. So he did a great job when he was healthy. Him and – uh, shoot. There's another guy Andy they got Ranta. back there. Yeah, Ronta. <laughs> yep, and more on Kemper. The year before was 925, so this 928 this year wasn't a fluke. Hopefully he gets back healthy for them and continues to excel. My second guy, Mr. Taylor Hall – um they Arizona really has they have some names at Hall Kessel and they got Keller who had an okay year and they also have whoever led them in points this year Schmaltz the young kid yeah. his first name's Nick I believe um but for me it was Hall point per game pace he led the team he didn't play as many games in the Arizona Coyotes uniform as these other guys so he wasn't first in scoring technically and for them he all played almost 20 minutes a night. I feel like he's by far their best offensive player. Chris, who do you have?
2: Yeah, I have it uh, same as you, basically. Um, I had Taylor Hall one just because Kemper was hurt for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Kemper was right there at number two. Um, Hall was still producing. He was still producing like a point a game, even in Arizona, right? He was still on pace uh,
0: Slightly below a point per game, slightly but yeah. Below? Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was still a factor offensively out there. And, I mean, Kemper, we, we knew from the previous season and the limited time he had this year around his injury he was still uh, a top goaltender uh, beginning of the year he was in the Vezina conversation and even still uh, when he came back you know he was still in the conversation uh, and then honorable mentions I had Anti Ranta you know helping lock down the, uh, the void that Kemper left they were good as a tag team but he kind of had to pick up everything with Kemper being out for a while and yeah. then Golagoski, he's been there for forever uh, I feel like he helped out a lot on the back end
0: Mm-hmm. Oliver Ekman-Larsson is another guy that I don't know if Matt will talk about him, but he surprisingly has struggled the past couple of seasons. Uh, not a lot of people talk about Arizona, so that's not really something that you hear about, but he's surprisingly struggled the past couple of years. But
1: Matt, end us out here. Uh, my initial reaction, like my gut reaction, was going to be to go with Hall. But between him getting there in the middle of the season and then not knowing how the end of the season is going to go in terms of maybe of him even potentially being there afterwards, I figured I'd go with some more staple players on the roster. And I figured at least one of you would have brought up Hall. Um, so my number one, I went with the young guy. I went with Clayton Keller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put up 44 points in 70 games, 51% on the coursey. His through shot percentage was 62, which for a 21-year-old, I'm all about that. Um, Plays with good speed. And again, just the youth aspect, you know, being 21 out in a, I don't want to say unknown because obviously – there's more chatter at least now around Arizona than there had been in the past, but you're not exactly playing in the bright lights, big city or anything like that. Um, And it's just a very young team in general. So to come in and, and kind of take over the offensive role, which is something that they need out there, obviously before they had guys like Hall and things to step in. Um, And my honorable mention would have been Ekman Larson more Mm -hmm. so for just his body of work out there. And you know he, he is a bit older on the back end. He hasn't done what he what he had been doing about four or five years ago when he was pretty much a perennial all star. Um, but he still put up thirty points in sixty six games. Plays about twenty four minutes a night, relatively consistent, um, and he is still a pretty decent factor to think about at least come power play time.
0: Yeah. So yeah, no, that's good stuff there, Matt. Um, this was a fun little segment we added this week. We'll keep on doing this throughout the coming weeks. Um,
2: I will with say, other teams. I'm excited for Arizona. Um, I think for the longest time they've been haunted with ownership questions. I think they finally have good ownership in there that cares about the team, is actually going to market them properly. I think I think there's a good chance you see Arizona uh, blow back up into a good hockey center. Or area, kind of like you did when oh, we yeah. were in the playoffs. Uh, that I mean, 2012 we they made a run, right? Yeah. yeah, when we made it to the finals, they played LA in the Western Conference Finals. So, Shane Doan, yep.
0: Ekman Larson, all those, all those characters. Yeah, but, yeah Mike
2: Smith out there. Yeah, uh, Mike Smith. Yeah, he was so young scored. right now too. I, I think. I think with the the right ownership, which they finally have now, there's there's a lot of positive stuff for arizona right now i'm really excited for it because it, it they, they just didn't need to go through everything they did with ownership wise and the league having to take over so
0: yeah i'm i think they're a little too young right now i don't know if they'll be i, I think they're going to take a step back, back next year i don't think they'll be able to rely on goaltending as much as they did this year but you are right in saying they have a ton of good young pieces there so but i i don't think they're there just quite yet but we'll see so um we'll move on to the next segment now All right, so for our next segment, we're going to discuss who we want to do well, who we're rooting for here in the return-to-play playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs. We're going to give you two teams from the East, two teams from the West, and then we're also, at the end, going to talk about who we least want to see perform. So I'll start here for the Eastern Conference teams I'm going to be rooting for. My number one team is going to be the Washington Capitals – I know they just won, but I loved watching Ovi celebrate. That celebration was just all time. It's It was great. And I love watching Ovechkin play. He's arguably the best goal scorer of all time. It's really a talent that we shouldn't take for granted because who knows, we'll see a goal scorer like this next. <laughs> love to see him add another cup to his Hall of Fame career. Yeah, it was
2: great for him in that city, and especially with <laughs> TJ Oshie as well. His father and all, everything that was going on there
0: so yeah 100 so and out of all the metro teams i don't know about you guys but i feel like washington's the team i hate the least (laughs) i don't know if you guys are in agreement here but and then also i'm just a big tom wilson guy but yeah the caps are number one for me and my number two is the florida panthers the underdog florida panthers they have a lot of guys (laughs) there that are just fun to watch alexander barkov mike hoffman evgeny dadinoff two guys hoffman and dadinoff who are free agents maybe future devils who knows we'll see but also the Panther performing well with me upsets and upsets of the likes like the Islanders who I'm not a big fan of. And also Mr. Brian Boyle plays for the Florida Panthers nowadays. So it'd be great to see him um, go far and get some wins under his belt. Chris, who you got here? Top two teams you want to see do well from the Eastern conference.
2: So uh, no surprise here based off my comments earlier in this epi, uh, Tampa Bay is going to be the first team. I'm pulling for and cheering for They're, they're kind of my second team. Um, i've been a fan of them even back when it was just the cavalier and saint louis in their young days with no oh purcell and stuff like that yeah um, geez yeah don't I, start throwing I'm, those names yeah, at me now was like my second team <laughs> that i follow um so I'm, I'm pulling for them in the east and my second team would be columbus uh, i think it'd be great to see them shock everyone just compared to oh, yeah. where they were supposed to be to start the season uh where they've ended up, what Torts has done with that team is great. It's um, a good one. I, I want it. I want condescending Torts Twitter back. Uh, but also, the the Capitals would probably be a third team. I would be okay with. So
0: okay, yeah, no. Um, the Jackets are. That's a good one. They were probably my third team there. Not that I'm a fan of them, but I I don't mind them at all. I went to Columbus. I've been in Nationwide Arena before. It's
1: it's a really great city. But yeah, Matt, who
0: you got here? Two teams East, third
1: arena conference. Uh, my. First top team is going to be Tampa Bay, right along with Chris. Okay. Um, I, I don't have the afford cool, a tie or anything. Um, they're just a, a, a very fun team to watch. I like watching fast-paced hockey, obviously, like most yeah. people do. And when you, when you get to the playoff time and you start talking about Stanley Cup Finals, yes, you want to see the best teams, but you also want to see some of the most exciting teams. And on any given night, you know, Tampa Bay can just completely light it up when everything is going in their favor, uh, when they're kind of rolling on all cylinders, making these silky tape-to-tape passes. And they're it's just a lot of fun to watch. Year.
2: They're, they're it, hungry it, after it, getting swept in the first
1: round. Ugly stuff last year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I, you can almost kind of relate that to uh, – this is going back probably a little ways now. Um, but in the uh, March Madness, who was it? the number one that got bumped oh, and man. went up the next year? Now I'm sad, man. Virginia. <laughs> bring up no March Madness
0: like that? <laughs> I, man, I missed March Madness this year. That was a shame. But, yeah, no, that was Virginia. They lost to UMBC, the 16th seed. And back then took it down year, down the next right year, year,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I, I could stuff. definitely see Tampa going that's that way. And that's a good comparison right there. Yeah, hey, you know, the, the the predominant number one, no way they're going to lose. All of a sudden they get swept. Yeah. And now they come back and just kind of steamroll. And them having Blake Coleman. Uh, he was probably one of my yeah, favorite players sure. here in Jersey. So easy yeah, to do for him. Uh, and then number two would be the Maple Leafs, actually. Mm, um, ah. I, I enjoy a lot of the youth that they have. And, they again, they kind of fit into this mode that I like of fast-paced, offense, 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 incredibly skilled. I mean, anytime you get to watch guys like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner fly around and just do some of the ridiculous things that they do, that to me is very fun hockey. Um, and from the more kind of Homer side of things, I've always been a fan of Tavares and he's one of those guys who I'd like to see get the cup. So, you know, throw that all into the mix and they'd be a lot of fun, a very fun team to watch.
2: See, I've I, I thought about the Maple Leafs and I feel like for like Canadians and all the Canadian fans, the yeah. Maple Leafs are like the equivalent of what the Bruins are for all of us American teams. Like yeah. Nobody wants to see Boston win. And I think for like Canadian teams, no, really. nobody wants to see Toronto win.
0: how that works. They're not like unified against the U.S. and like they wouldn't want to see Toronto win it because then a U.S. team wouldn't get the cup. Is I, that I really not they, a big think, deal there?
2: I think they'd be happy to have Toronto win it just in the fact that a Canadian team would have won the cup. But yeah, in terms of their if they part. had a choice. Toronto, Montreal, I feel I like, is, is similar to Boston for me. Like, I don't want to see Boston win a cup. I just don't.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I agree there. I don't want Boston to win the cup either. But um, all right, moving on. So for the two teams in the West, my number one is Calgary. Flames, a lot of fun players. Uh, like I was mentioning before, Matthew Tkachuk. I absolutely love the way he plays and watching him. Also, Johnny Goudreau is a lot of fun. And Radich over there taking over as the number one. That's a cool little story. So Calgary is my one there in the West. St. Louis Blues, my other team there, they're just as close as Calgary. I just put Calgary ahead of them because they haven't won a cup in a while. But St. Louis, even though I won it a couple years ago, I have this special relationship with St. Louis. It goes back to me playing uh, NHL, like 17, the video game, trying to get them to the cup. Just a little funny thing there. But I absolutely loved watching them win it a couple years ago, at Tarasenko. O'Reilly, Petrangelo, all those guys Bennington's great, but yeah, those are my Two teams for the West, Chris, who you got
2: So you might not like one of My teams that I picked, but uh, my first Team would be Minnesota, I'd love to see Minnesota Continue their impressive run That they had towards the playoffs And just go all the way and win it uh, Win it for the state of hockey yeah, fans
0: up there are great.
2: Um, absolutely. My, my second team would be the Nashville Predators, and it's more so just because I want Nashville to win it, uh, not so much anything to do well, with John Hines or anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's more so I just want to see Nashville get that cup. Um, if I had a third team, it would probably be Dallas. So.
0: Yeah, no, Dallas I like a lot too. They have a lot of fun stuff over there. Matt, who you got for these two teams?
1: Okay, I'm going a little wild again, I guess. Uh, my my first team I went with the Oilers. Ooh. Uh, Yeah. Again, it's just riding the skill train. You know, if you have a chance to see guys like McDavid and Drysaddle flying around in a potential Stanley Cup Game Seven final, like that's kind of what hockey has been has been dreaming of. Especially if the Hub Cities are going to end up being in Canada as well. If you somehow get Toronto Edmonton, that would be absolutely astronomical in terms of viewership and everything in it. They're just a very fun team to watch. And again, at the end of the day, you want to see the best players under the brightest of lights. So if you get to see McDavid in the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, there's not really not much else that you can ask for with that. And then my second team is the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Partially tied into some fantasy. (laughs) Um, I've had (laughs) Mika Rantanen on my fantasy team for a handful of years now and just getting to watch him and his development and just the way that he plays and everything. He's an incredibly fun guy to watch. Um, and then as well, kind of still following the trend, you have guys out there like McKinnon who just absolutely fly around. His shot is probably one of the most ridiculous shots I've seen. Um, they're just an incredibly fun team to watch, really, is what it comes down to for me. I, any team that plays with that quick pace and that offensive threat, realistically, almost any time that their main guys are on the ice, it's not much else you can ask for.
2: Yeah, Joe yeah, no. did a phenomenal job building them up, and I'm sure uh, Detroit fans are hoping for that with Eisenman, although uh, that draft lottery kind of... Eh?
0: Yeah. But okay, least favorite uh, or the teams I don't want to see do well for the East. This is pretty easy for me. It's the Flyers and Rangers. Those are my two least favorite teams. I dislike the Flyers more than I dislike the Rangers, which some people may. find a little funny, but I, I actually live in center city Philly. So I see a lot of this nonsense every day, but yeah, those two from the East are my least favorite. So I do not want to see them perform well. And I'm really hoping the flyers are a fluke. I mean, come on, like you gotta be kidding me with the run They went on. I still, I, I still don't believe it's the real deal, but we'll see out West. My two teams that I don't want to see do well. And it's funny because you guys both mentioned it is avalanche just cause I'm jealous. Like t- they did, they did what the devils were supposed to do like a couple years back when they turned around in one year and it looked like the devils kind of copied them, but then what happened the past couple years, but yeah, it's just out of jealousy. They have a lot of fun players though. I'm predators or my other team, just cause I don't want to see John Hines do well. He really, <laughs> he, he really messed the devils up, man. But those are my four teams. I don't want to see do well. Uh, Chris, who do you have for these four?
2: Yeah, so uh, in the East, I, I can understand your Philly choice. Um, I definitely mm-hmm. don't want to see them win, but I'd say the top two for me, uh, one is going to be Rangers for obvious reasons. Um, yep. But my second is going to be Pittsburgh just because I'm I'm done with seeing the same teams win the Cup. You know, it's been like basically Pittsburgh, Chicago, and L.A. We had Washington one year, um, and I'm, I'm just – I don't want to see Pittsburgh win another one. I just really don't, so – I feel that, and I mean, uh, going back to your Flyers point, you know, Vigneault's been to the finals numerous times with great teams, but he hasn't been able to seal the deal. So who knows if that'll be this will be the year, or if it'll just continue um, out west. The two teams I wouldn't want to see win it. Um, it's, I this was really hard have for a me too. Bias for like, I don't have a dislike for any team or anything. Yeah, I
0: this was hard um, for me as well. <laughs> so I'd honestly
2: probably say Vegas is one. Um, and the reason for that being that it's just, yeah, like (laughs) I was furious that they made it to the Stanley cup final, their inaugural season. I'm like, no, you're an expansion team. (laughs) You're not supposed to be good. Like you can make the playoffs, but this is just crazy. Um, and let's see another team. I'd, I'd probably say maybe, maybe Vancouver just because of the pick. So,
0: yeah, no, that's a great reason there. That's, yeah, that's a great reason. Because I think um,
2: Vancouver, you know, the way they're set up for the future, I don't see them being bad next year. I I see them taking a step forward. And if they don't, there's a massive issue. Yeah, that's an interesting
0: conversation that we should have here down the road about um, Vancouver and Arizona about like the possibility of getting their picks next year. But Matt, who do you have here for the teams you at least want to see do
1: well? So for the east I have the Flyers which you know kind of not much explanation needed. I'm in the same boat as you James. I am more anti Flyers than I am anti Rangers. Yeah, welcome aboard. Um, just something about the, Just something about the organization that like just everything about it. I don't know why I get more irked playing the Flyers than I do the Rangers. Agreed. Um, and and part of it I think ties into i'm more worried i at least was more worried about the flyers with that crazy run that they were on and there was just a weird vibe about it of like they may actually be Dang able to put something together here yeah whereas like the rangers and stuff right now it's like oh, you're sneaking in anyway i'm not i'm not overly worried about them actually making any kind of noise um, and my number two team is Pittsburgh, again, for pretty similar reasons of they're there all the time. Crosby, Malkin, you, you kind of get sick of hearing after it after a while. Um, yeah. So seeing some of those other teams would be good. West Coast wise, it was hard finding a number two. My number one actually was pretty easy and it was Vegas for strictly just sour grape reasons. Um, Yeah, you guys are pretty on par here with this segment. You guys have a lot of similar stuff. It's just when you're a fan of a team who's theoretically (laughs) doing it the right way, building it up, going through all the pain of suffering and stuff before you get back to the playoffs. And then this team gets thrown together, and they go right to the Stanley Cup Finals. I just immediately hated everything about them.
0: Yeah, it totally (laughs) makes sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, my number two out there would be the Blackhawks. Um, okay. No crazy particular reason. again, more so than uh, they've been there all the time. They're kind of the staple team and I that. and it gets old after a while. It's really the only logic I could come up with with that.
2: Yeah,
0: no good stuff. Everyone had great reasonings behind what they uh, what they picked team wise. so that's it for that segment. And as we get closer, I don't want to do it yet. But uh, we'll discuss who we think – like we'll give our picks and our favorites who we think can make a run. We'll have an episode dedicated to that within the next couple of weeks. But OK. Moving on. My little prospect corner we do each week. This week will be an all-defensive prospect corner. we got Ryan O'Rourke, Braden Schneider and William Wallander. So I'll start out with O'Rourke here. I just wrote a profile recently. Um, if you haven't already, check that out. So, O'Rour- O'Rourke's a six foot two, one hundred eighty one pound Canadian defenseman. He currently plays for the Sioux Greyhounds of the OHL. Now, I saw Sioux Greyhounds. Is Sioux like an actual place in Canada? Uh, like I yeah, saw I mean, that it was, it was- kind of weird. Oh, really? All right. Well, yeah, he played in this, uh, he plays in the OHL Sue Greyhounds, um, in the GTHL as young in greater Toronto hockey league. His production was similar to that of Jamie Drysdale this year in the OHL. He had 54 points and a plus 16 rating in 54 games for the Greyhounds. I got to double check that point total. I don't think that's right now that I read it, but, um, He did this for a Greyhounds team that was 29-31-4, which is not good for the OHL. So the plus-16, I know, plus-minus, not a great stat, but that's the only really stats they give for the OHL. Plus-16 is a good number for a team that went that record. As for strengths and weaknesses, he is a very, very mature game for his age. He's a two-way D-man that does it all in every facet of the game, neutral zone, defensive zone, offensive zone. His offensive game does need work, but he's more than – capable there um his size his six foot two size helps him with his reach and couple this with the high knowledge of the game and his positioning is also well so he's solid one-on-ones o'rourke skating is also pretty solid um most notably laterally which is very helpful for defenseman. i know chris you would agree here a defenseman offensively need to move side to side rather than like the north south so they could be um contribute from the point and this is something braden schneider cannot do which i'll speak about here in a second
2: yeah, i noticed that about uh, uh o'rourke but also uh somebody else you're going to discuss here as well Mm-hmm.
0: in the neutral zone as i mentioned he also excels his passing through this area is solid and he's above average skating for d-man helps him in the neutral zone as well his underrated skills that a lot of people don't talk about when they think of like evaluating prospects this is his leadership for his age he was named the youngest captain in sue greyhound's history in the last 44 years uh, that was the last time someone younger than him was captain for that team weaknesses for o'rourke Doesn't have any glaring weaknesses, and that's because he's such an all-around player. He does everything pretty well, but the thing with being an all-around player is nothing jumps out at you, which may scare some scouts away. His OHL output as a whole wasn't stellar. His .51, so as I mentioned before when I said 54 points in 54 games, that was just me not having the correct notes. I got to check what his actual point total was. It was not a point-per-game player, as you can see as his OHL output and his career has not been where it needs to be for a guy of his caliber. It's only .51. I expect this number to jump up again, and especially if his team progresses, I'd expect that number to be higher, maybe closer to one, which would be good. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, as a projection, projection, he has a very high floor, and his ceiling is moderate. His ceiling's better than that of Braden Schneider, um, but it's not as good as a guy like William Wallander, which I'll speak about in a second. His floor, though, that it's really high. Like I said, a mature player. If he has, if his offensive potential is untapped, the ceiling grows even higher and he'll become more of a steal than he already is. I'm very high on Rourke. I'm higher than most. And it's because of how yeah. high his uh, floor is and how his ceiling could be even higher than people yeah. are making out to be if his offense happens. I um, watched some
2: tape on him and he just he looked great. He, uh, I, he's very active in the offensive zone for a defenseman and he has the vision and the IQ. That was one thing I noticed in almost all the tape that I was watching. So.
0: Yeah, no, um, Aurora Keel surprise people. If, if you haven't looked into him yet, I highly recommend it. I feel like you'd be impressed. But for me, I think he's a uh, late first round pick. However, scouts have a hard time. Like there's no consensus on this guy. I feel like to either love or hate him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he comes off the board, in, like the mid round. Um, Right now, he's 18th in my top 30 prospect rise, and I have O'Rourke, I believe, as the fourth best defenseman, this behind Caden Gooley, and I have him right in front of Braden Schneider. Braden Schneider, nice segue into the next prospect I'm going to talk about. He's an extremely old prospect for this draft class. If he was born a day or two later, he would have been in last year's draft. He would have been eligible for that draft, so that's something that's going to be a theme of me talking about is his age. So he's a six foot two, much like actually the same exact height as O'Rourke. And he's uh, more heavier, 202, 202 pounds. He plays in Canada as well, but in the WHL for the Brandon Wheat Kings. He has three seasons of experience in it. WHL under his belt, which is extremely rare for a prospect, just because they're not usually as old as he is. He had 42 points in 60 games this year as an alternate captain, which is pretty good production for a guy that's regarded as the defensive defenseman. Uh, overall, he had 88 points in 185 games, which is a .48 clip. He also worth mentioning he captained the U17 uh Canadian team at a tournament. They had a lot of these popular guy names, uh popular names on that team. So it was interesting to see him get to see there, just something I thought mentioned. So now we're gonna go into his strengths. Uh his game's built around his physicality and his um strength as a player. Like I said, very mature in his stature, his build, um, and he loves to throw the body around, which is great to see. That's something that I feel like the NHL is getting away from. Not a lot of players are coming up doing that type of thing, but it's good seeing that Schneider's that type of player. His best work comes in the dirty areas of ice. Uh, I guess you're sensing the theme now, the type of player he really is. But he's great behind his own net and also in front of the net. He's a people mover there, which is great for the penalty kill. And he's also a shot blocker. So he really excels in the PK just thanks to his uh, mature game. And a lot of it just comes back to the fact that he's played in the WHL and the WHL is regarded as one of the best leagues defensively in terms of structure, like junior leagues out there. So that's great experience for him. And that's why he's such a mature player. Weaknesses, his ceiling – Given he's so mature, he's pretty low. Um, it's lower than the likes of Wallander, Caden Gooley. these defensemen that are also in the area of where Schneider's going to be taken. His skating does need work. It's fine at the WHL level, but I'm kind of worried at the NHL level how it's going to translate him keeping up with people one-on-one. I don't think it's going to be a major issue because he'll he'll get better. Um, side-to-side is where he needs the most work. It's not that fluid, and for defensemen – moving lateral as i just talked about is extremely important especially in the offensive zone and offensively is where he does struggle a decent amount his stick handling and puck skills lack and also as i mentioned his skating hampers him from uh, really producing there from the point projection he is probably the most nhl ready defenseman and that's just because of his three years of experience at the chl level and given his maturity which i've talked about a lot for him I think he projects out in the NHL as like a mid-pairing, maybe a bottom-pairing, stay-at-home defenseman with great PK work. You could throw this guy on the ice if you want to protect leads at the end of the game. Like I said, ceiling low, floor high. Take that how you want. If you like something like that, then uh, this is the prospect for you when he comes off the board i think he's going to be a mid first round pick between that like 15 to 19 area for me i have him behind ghoulie and behind o'rourke 19th ranked in my overall top 30 william wallander is the last guy and i think chris this is where um this lateral quickness from the yeah. point you're gonna hear um uh, wallander's only 17 years of old he's one of the youngest players in the draft he has tremendous size the kid's six foot hundred ninety-one pounds and he's only 17 years old i being six foot 6'4 at 17 years old. I mean, Jesus.
2: Yeah, that's,
0: that's crazy. He's uh, left-handed um, from Sweden. He played his junior career there. he played in the super elite which is uh the junior hockey league in sweden five goals 19 assists he's called up to the alicefekan (laughs) this year i don't know if i said that right probably not but it's their second tier pro hockey behind the shl over there in sweden it's like the AHL equivalent so he played alongside men he had 18 games only produced two assists which is kind of weird given that he is regarded for his offensive skills but once again playing against guys twice his age as a 17 year old and he also got a fairly amount of ice time which is something worth mentioning strength for this kid it's his skating ability the way he moves at six foot four is absolutely insane go watch youtube videos of him moving you'll be they'll be eye-opening up and down the ice, he's great at jumping in transitions into rushes because of his skating ability. And like I said, he a guy like this, his height should not be moving the way he does. And that's what makes him such an exciting prospect is this, uh, this hybrid of size and skating. Stick skills offensively, he's solid. Another area he's pretty good at is his passing and stick handling um, at that point. Like the point part where defensemen play offensively, he can use that skating to move laterally. Like I said, he also is able to jump up and rushes. Defensively, he's fine too. Um, and mainly just because of that big reach he has. That's really where his defensive skills are based on is his reach. Besides that though, defensively is the area he does need work. And it's just because he's such a raw prospect. He's only 17 years old, so he has a lot to do, a lot to learn there. Other places where he needs work is, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not physical, knife for size. He's at six foot four, but I mean, he doesn't really throw his body around. And at that height, and his weight is close to 200 pounds, that needs to be up a little more, but he should be able to throw his body around. And as I mentioned before, he's very aggressive in transition game, like jumping up, that could sometimes bite him. In the behind, could hurt him with turnovers and stuff like that, leading the odd man rush the other way. Projection for him, he has one of the highest ceilings in all of the draft, but his floor is also pretty low. He is your textbook boom or bust prospect. And it's mainly because the boom part is the scaling ability and his um, size is just unreal. That combination you don't see often, but the low – Floor comes in the extremely raw aspect, specifically his defensive game, his inconsistencies there needs to be uh, ironed out. At his best, I see him as a top four puck-moving defenseman and having a skating ability that's unmatched. Like I said, I think he'll be a later round first pick. He may break the top twenty if a scout is that much in love with his skating and size. For me, I'm not at high. The risk, I think, is too much, and that's why I'd prefer the devil stay away from him. But maybe if this guy pans out, he's going to be an extremely great player. I have him 27th in my top 30. This in front of the guys like Helge Grands and Jeremy Poirier, but behind O'Rourke, Schneider, and Gouli. Okay, a lot of talking for me, but those are the three defensive prospects um, I have. you guys have anything to say about these guys?
2: So I think what you'll see between Schneider and Wallander – Um, you'll probably see schneider well you'll see them both work towards their skill set and their assets so schneider i would imagine more fundamentals hockey iq positioning where he needs to be um wallander with the skating ability and the edge work i mean that is that can be a saving grace on defense just as much as it is a threat on offense um when when i played i was very much more of like a power forward kind of style two-way forward just get the puck in try and skate past the defenseman, beat him deep. Um, There's a difference between a defenseman who can skate and is good on his edges and one that isn't. And what I mean by that is when you beat a defenseman who doesn't have good skating and good edges, you're pretty much in the clear. Whereas one that does have good skating and edges will catch you from behind and you don't even know it's coming. So that's what I mean by it can be a saving grace. And that's, again, I mean, James mentioned it. It's what I noticed with Wallander. So.
0: Yeah, no, gotcha. And these three defensemen are going to be where the Devils have a chance to get um, a little funky with that Vancouver pick. Me and Chris both stress that we are big opponents of the Devils drafting defensemen early, and we want them to wait if they want to go this route to that third pick, that Canucks pick. And O'Rourke is a great option here. Caden Gooley is a great option here. I think Brandon, Braden Schneider would also be a decent option there just because his floor is so high. William Wallander, like I said, I I know his skating is insane and his height is insane, but I don't, want the devils to get this dude and i'm probably gonna get blasted for this i know alex at the blogs a huge william wallander guy and alex he he's great his knowledge of the game is great and he's usually right in these circumstances so i'll probably end up being wrong here but i just Mm -hmm. i'm not a fan of wallander matt you have anything to say about these guys
1: um i mean they're all obviously really nice top end talents i lean a bit more towards schneider if we are going to take any of them just for mm-hmm. the the safety factor of it's it's always a scary proponent to think all right we're going boomer bust or the first round pick you know that's not normally something that you think of in that in that uh that mindset normally yeah. that's more of your later pick so it's like yeah we weren't expecting much anyway so go for the high upside and see what happens um whereas you take a guy like schneider and it's yeah, you may not have that super elite potential in terms of a ceiling, but he's more than likely going to develop into what you think he will be. And he'll be, uh, assuming he's able to stay healthy and everything, uh, a nice component to your back end for a long stretch of time. Not saying that a guy like Wallander couldn't. I, I do love the size and the skating factor with him. I guess it really just comes down to risk mitigation for me with it being being a first-round pick um, and a little bit of a fear factor in whether or not we would actually be able to get him to what his peak value would be no yeah 100 percent. that that totally makes sense go ahead chris i mean
2: with wallander you could make a comparison in terms of you draft him how's he going to develop um you can just look at scott niedermeyer when Niedermeyer came in he was always a phenomenal skater he was always great with the puck that was well known it was his defensive game that they ironed out between Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson that's what they worked on to develop him and that's why he became such a dominant player he he his defensive game wasn't perfect when he came into the league he was very skilled offensively but Lemaire and Robinson and of course the Devils during that time were a very defensive first team um that's something you could see possibly happening with wallander he's already got the skating he's got the the edge work if they can if he can be groomed and developed properly to learn and respect the defensive game first and then learn how to transition that into his skill set uh, that's a comparison right there not saying he'll be as good as nidermeyer but kind of like a similar skill set similar kind of right, right. path basically
0: no, yeah, I got you. That all makes sense. But all right, yeah, good stuff with these prospects. It'll be interesting to see if the Devils take a take a take the waiver on any of these guys, but we'll move on now. So last segment here tonight, we're going to have a little debate between Tim Stutzel and Quinton Byfield. Um, unfortunately, the Devils won't have a chance at either one of them, but it'll be interesting to see, give our take, who we think the LA Kings should take here with the second pick, because we all know Lafayette are going to go on number one. It seems like a new debate that's on Twitter. Each week there's like a new debate. Uh, who's better? Who's better? Um, we had an Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond debate last week. So i will go with this uh, Byfield-Stutzel this week. It seemed for so long that Quinton-Byfield was going to be the consensus number two pick. But more and more people have recently came out and have Stutzel ahead of them. And we're also seeing this in drafts as well. Um, I don't know if you saw that new one that came out. I think TSN released it. But um, they had Stutzel going to. The two prospects, I'll explain a little bit about them. We've talked about both of these guys at length on this pod already, but just a little refresher. special. Byfield has extraordinary upside, and he's all, he's he has that combination of being extremely young. He's only 17 years old, as well as the fact as he has great height to him. I believe he's listed as 6'4". He had 82 points in 45 games this year as a 17-year-old, so he has the great production. He has a great size. He's young. The only areas of work this kid needs is defensive awareness needs to be a little bit better. And he's, he's fine in defensive side. It's just awareness needs to get better and that'll come as age. And also he needs to use his size more. But besides that, he's a great prospect. Stutzel is the more mature and all-around guy. His production in the top professional league over in Germany, the DEL. The DEL is not the best top league. but I mean, it's a top league. You're playing against men. Um, he had 34 points in 41 games. This is the 24th best points per game in the league. So he produced at a great clip there in a professional league. His skating and defensive abilities for a forward are probably the best in the draft. Each of those, he's just great in these areas. For me, I feel like the Kings should pick Byfield. Just given the fact that they have such a deep system and they could go with the more it's not even a risky pick in Byfield. It's just more riskier when comparing the two prospects. So that's why I give them not yeah, the I Byfield over no really You are that- You are a hundred percent. Each guy, they're gonna be great for many years to come. It just comes down to the tiny risk that Byfield brings in the fact in comparison to Stutzel. Let me say this again. I'm not saying that Byfield brings any risk to him. I'm just saying the risk compared to the guy like Stutzel. Matt, who do you have here? You got Byfield or Stutzel? Uh,
1: in this instance, I have Byfield going at two. Largely, mm-hmm. uh, again, I think it's as close to a coin toss as you can get. Like, again, like you said, you're not really going to go wrong with either guy unless there's some type of catastrophic injury or something that no one can possibly predict. But the fact that you have a West Coast team picking as well, they're, they've always been more of the the size factor out there in the West Conference yeah. compared to the East. So I think Fair that's going to play into their decision making when it comes down to it. And like you said, with them being a deeper team, they can afford to take the guy who needs a little bit more time, a little bit more grooming to, to really come into his own. And I think they're just going to fall in love with the size and he's going to go there for them at two. Yeah, no, that's great insight. Chris, do
0: you
2: have? So I had actually leaned to uh, Stutzel over Byfield. Um, but like Matt said, it's, it's as close to a coin toss as you can get. Um, I watched film on both of them, uh, Stutzel and Byfield. I think Stutzel is slightly better offensively, but then again, like you mentioned, James, then you're bringing in the, the, the context of the OHL versus the Dell, two different leagues and two different styles of players that you're going to have and levels, um, I don't think there's a wrong choice for L.A. Like, I mean, we all agree on that. They're going to get a great prospect that's going to contribute to their team in the future, and they're already loaded in their system. So, they, you know, they're going to be dangerous once they get it all together uh, in terms of developing all those players. But um, – Byfield's been receiving consistent praise this whole year, just like Lafreniere Um, and Stutzel. Honestly, he kind of reminds me of Nico, his draft year, you know, this guy who just shot up the draft board leading all the way up to the draft. Um, I mean, I'm not sure where Stutzel really started, but he was, he was not in the top three discussion. I don't think, at the beginning of kind of the draft process and scouting and stuff like that, he's just shooting up the, the ranks as, um, as the draft gets closer and I don't think he'll go number one. He, I think Lafreniere it's, yeah, it's he different will. Than no, Nico. No. He's not going to go to number one, but it does kind of remind me of Nico in the fact that he's rising up the draft board so quickly, uh, in terms of scouting leading up to the draft.
0: Gotcha. No. Yeah. That's all great stuff, but, um, you guys make both great points. <laughs> All right, that's all we have for this episode. A little on the longer side, but it gives you guys more uh, more things to listen to because we won't have another one until next week. Once again, Matt, thanks for coming on in such short notice. Um, replacing Corey for the week. Corey should be back next week, but I appreciate you coming on, bringing a lot of good insight. We'll uh, look to have you on again in the near future. Also, I'll talk about it again with the interview. I promise there's an interview coming. It's just, like I said, with the logistics, I'm not lying to you guys. You guys will get something from us within these next few weeks. But besides that, I got nothing else. You boys have anything else to take us out?
2: Let's go devils.
0: Yes, sir. All right, everyone stay safe. Have a good week. We'll uh, talk to you guys next week.
2: Peace.